0: right everybody let's move into our time of teaching and like Garrett said earlier we are moving into um, well this is actually the last Sunday of our kind of official birthday we're going to leave the banners up and other things like that you know um, really for the year I think for a whole year you know it's not like the chiefs take down their Super Bowl stuff after you know when Super Bowl is done so we're going to leave our birthday stuff up for a year because it lasts a whole year so it's kind of fun uh 25 years and so this week we the last couple of weeks, I covered the past way way back when, and then we covered the present, fruits and nuts because that's we're all fruits and nuts because we 're the church and um, and now we just take a little look uh, a real high level look at the future all right and uh, and that's <laughs> that's why you have a little compass you know um, uh, I wouldn't like set out for the Arctic with this or anything because it was free. But nonetheless, it's the, it's the idea that counts. So, um, you know, put it on the zipper or your ski jacket or wherever you got and you're set. So, um, but the deal is with a compass is we all, we all really want a map in life. We want a map, but you only get a compass in life. True? You want a map, but you only get a compass Live any few days on this planet, you'll pretty soon figure out that you get no map, you only get a compass. We find that the disciples are in the same exact, exact situation, wanting a map but only getting a compass. And so we go to the last episode in the Gospel of Luke. Luke. The very last few verses. You would probably do well to bring it up on your phone or open up your Bible if you brought your physical Bible with you. Uh, Luke chapter 24, the very last of it. Because it comes up and you'll probably want to be able to... I encourage you to do this because this is the way to study scripture during the teaching time. Okay, so Luke chapter 24. Here we go. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said... Peace be with you. And they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. This is post-resurrection, you know. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while in their joy... They were disbelieving and still wondering. Now, isn't that where we all are? Joy in Christ and yet disbelieving and wondering. Okay, we're in good company. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Which is one of the weirdest things. Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. What a weird thing for Luke to put into the passage. It's so particular, so precise It has to be true. Like, this is just a weird thing when, when you read ancient texts. And then he said to them, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it's written that the Messiah is to suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, And that repentance and forgiveness for sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I'm sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53, and I'm reading now the New Revised Standard Version, the NRSV. Uh, We are in a time of great change. Yes, are we not all in a time of great change? Isn't the ground shifting underneath us? Indeed, the world is winding its way through a pandemic, uh, which, by the way, as an aside, I was introduced to a new word, endemic, like the end, like e and d. like pandemic means everywhere, but endemic means just localized. So I think we're going to be seeing that word coming here, hopefully. Praise God. Uh, it's winding its way through a pandemic, plus the Internet and the ubiquitous iPhone, have accelerated time and collapsed social space. Yes? And just as my editorial comment here, the American empire, lacking any real enemy, has turned to infighting and polarization. And like all empires before them, they would do well to heed the words of the Apostle Paul out of Galatians chapter 5. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another would be the watchword for America. Amen. Yes, we are in a time of great change. The church is in transition as well, whether they like it or not. It appears that the church is due for a great change. Religious expert, uh, Phyllis Tickle. I know, Phyllis Tickle. How would you love to have that name? <laughs> Phyllis, Tickle, uh, Phyllis Tickle, she is famous on several counts. She wrote a classic contemplative uh, work piece called The Divine Hours. Many of you around here are familiar with the Divine Hours. Tickle holds three doctorates, including one from Yale. She is a magnificent southern lady, complete with a Tennessee drawl and a presence that is commanding. And Phyllis Tickle reminds us that the church feels compelled to hold a huge rummage sale every 500 years. Now, obviously, this rummage sale idea is in -in tongue-in-cheek. Made even more so by the guy with the props that can't seem to get it correct. There we go. There we go. So, um, yeah, a big rummage sale. The church has a big rummage sale every five hundred years. Okay, that's what Tickle says. And the how timely that on October thirty first, October thirty first, fifteen seventeen. Right, the day before All Saints Day was the Great Reformation. Every one of these has a great. The Great Reformation, when a brilliant, nobody, professorial monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Chapel door. He didn't really mean to do make a big deal out of it, but within the next few years, the Reformation began, the Protestant Reformation. And in those theses, he was accusing the Roman Catholic Church of straying from the biblical faith. The result was Protestant Christianity which took which then said that faith is personal which was a new idea although it was still present and that salvation was by faith alone he even added the word alone there in Romans chapter 3 it wasn't even in the scripture and the great recentering of belief moved up into the head instead of the entire enchanted world around a person power of the church split then into Catholic and Protestant doctrine. And all of this, of course, is wrapped in with the Enlightenment and all this sort of thing. Now, travel back another 500 years from the Reformation and you get to 1054. And we have the Great Schism. The Great Schism. The patriarch of the Greek Eastern Orthodox Church excommunicated Pope Leo the IX in Rome. And Leo then excommunicated the patriarch in Constantinople, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And they argued over whether or not to use leaven or unleavened bread during the Mass. That was a big deal. And one side believed that the Holy Spirit descended from the Father and the Son, and the other side did not. The Great Schism was the Latins versus the Greek. It was classic cultural warfare. And basically, the Great Schism was about two centers of power battling for cultural dominance— and, of course, you know, realize back then in 1054 that the church was all just enmeshed with what we would call empire and politics. So you always have to think these sort of things through. Now, you travel back another 500 years before the Great Schism, and you get to 590. Things get a little obscure here because it's a long time ago. And so, once again, tongue-in-cheek about this 500-year, every 500-year garment cell in the church— Now, there was no split at this time. Instead, Pope Gregory is thought great at the time because he cleaned up the entire church, which was really lacking direction, and had really become lost in pagan culture. Really, the church wasn't that dominant in 590. It wasn't the thing. It was sort of off to the side. And in the 6th century, the church was lost and confused about political power and watered-down doctrines, and there was a lot of confusion going on. And Rome's synods. The Senate in Rome by that time had disbanded. They gave up. So the Roman Empire was just continuously being overrun by barbarians from the north. The church had moved full on to Constantinople and was busy arguing about whether Mary was the mother of God, and which was important because if Mary's the mother of God, this determined if Jesus was one person of two natures or two persons inside one skin. And you're going like, what? That's right. What was really at stake was the nature of the incarnation, that Jesus' divinity and his physicality were inseparable. And indeed, he's one person in two natures. You might want to go check out a milestones class on this if you want to dig into it. And so this might sound like a little bit of mumbo-jumbo to us today, but Gregory the Great cleaned all this up. And Gregory leaned heavily on St. Benedict and monasticism to preserve the integrity of the church and it protected Christianity really for the next 500 years as we moved into what we all would now call the dark ages and as northern invaders just tore up the remainder of the Roman Empire and all of that went away pretty much and today we thank Gregory for making sure we have Jesus just as he appears at the end of Luke's gospel yeah the passage we read today Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Now, turn that into doctrine. (laughs) And you got yourself a mouthful. No pun intended. When Jesus suddenly appeared among the disciples, they were terrified. Dead men do not rise from the dead. And yet, here is Jesus. Is he real? Are we in some great transition right now? Were they in a great transition back in 33, 30 AD? Yes. The disciples moved from terrified to great joy and continually blessing God in the temple. First century Judaism had just had the biggest rummage sale of all time. The Torah, the prophets... The Psalms were all now complete. Everything had changed. A man had risen from the dead. And to prove it, he ate a piece of fish. What was the key to the disciples' great transition? Why, the presence of Jesus, of course. The transition happens every time Jesus is present in our lives and in our world. With Jesus in their midst, they came face-to-face with their doubts and their confusion. They became totally confident, confident enough to witness to the things they had seen and touched the gospel, that Jesus is all the difference in the world. The presence of Jesus is the difference. (laughs) Don't we all wish that Jesus would show up right now and just clarify everything? Wouldn't that be the roadmap? we're all looking for what if jesus just showed up right now and put an end to all our confusion in the church told everybody who to behave and how to do it don't we wish jesus would tell those conservative evangelicals that they've been seduced by nationalism and power and how about telling those liberal progressive christians that they've been moralizing witch hunt pharisees for too long and they should you know stop doing all that sort of thing start trusting in the presence of jesus again instead of their own Willpower. Don't we wish Jesus would show up at Lakeland and then everybody would want to come back because they'd want to watch him, you know, eat something. <laughs> Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a bag of granola and for fruit snacks. Something like that. Don't we wish we had a road map that told us exactly when and where to turn? That we had a destination, that we knew exactly how long the journey was going to take, that we could map it, how long it was going to last. Instead, all we have is a compass. All we have is a compass. That's all we have. Just like the disciples. We have a pointer, a sign pointing that away. Same situation as the disciples. So I'm sending, sending upon you what my Father promised, Jesus said. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And they were. Go to Luke's second volume the Acts of the Apostles, and right there, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The difference is this, folks. We lack the disciples' joy. We're pretty good about the confusion and maybe being terrified, but the joy, the confidence that they, that they, that they grasp after they had Jesus in their midst. We lack that confidence. Somehow we've stopped believing in the presence of Jesus. We forget that we've been clothed with power from on, on, on high. We may not have a map, but we have the compass. We may not know uh, where we're at, but we know where we're supposed to be heading. The mission's clear to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It's simple, there's nothing astounding about it. We're supposed to build a community of authentic followers, it's pretty simple. The last Sunday I taught about community as being the most powerful thing in the world, really. It's the most powerful change agent in all of society. We, we learn to parent from our friends, whether you'll admit it or not. We learn how to date from our friends. We take financial cues from our friends, how to get a loan, how to pay a mortgage, how would you do that, what interest rate do you have. We go through cancer with our friends. We rejoice and mourn with our friends. And the Holy Spirit bring spiritual seeking friends to us all through relationships. Through this community called Lakeland Community Church, we thrive when we're in community. And that's what we have along this journey with the compass. It is singularly massive that we remain Confident in the compass, eyes only on Jesus, hand to the plow, no looking back. If we stop looking at Jesus, we lose our way quickly and we end up being confused and terrified. But with Jesus in our midst, we may not know where we're going, but we know exactly who we're following. But hear this. Every time that the church has had one of these huge rummage sales, every time, the gospel has moved forward and hundreds of thousands of people came to Jesus Christ, even though something huge had to be lost and given up. Every time a huge rummage sale happened, whether it's the Reformation, the Great Schism, or or Gregory the Great, Every time the gospel moved forward, usually west, usually west, the westward movement of the gospel, every time the gospel expanded. So is it time for us to drag out all our stuff and get rid of some things? You and I both know that all these great rummage cells, large numbers of Christians had to give up something. A lot of people gave up their lives. Needlessly, of course. But worthless. Worthless was the things they had to give up, even though they thought they were so precious. What are we holding on to? Power? Politics? Worldliness? They had to give up their native tongue, Latin, Greek. They had to give up riches and land huge things that they thought were so important were lost in each one of these rummage sales. And the world changed. The world changed. Every time a rummage sale happened, the gospel moved forward at great speed. Is it time? Are we prepared to let go of something that's so precious to us but worthless to God? This church has been around about 25 years and it's been a wonderful journey. More often than not, we've only had a compass rather than a map. We, we've had to trust the Holy Spirit with all of our lofty plans. I, if you ever want to do some gimmick to yourself, sometime when you have a little downtime during the day, go back and look at all of your business emails from about five years ago and read them. And look how lit up you were about some subject or some topic or some customer or something like that. And then you think like, God, we knocked herself out for nothing on that. Do it. Do it sometime. Just go back and look at your old emails and you'll think, like, we thought that was the most important thing in the world. And now, five years later, you're like, that didn't matter. That didn't matter. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, church. Over the years, I've been asked many times how did you know you were supposed to start Lakeland? How'd you know? Just yesterday, my son, standing in the kitchen, asked me the same question that I've been asked many times. How did you know Lakeland would succeed? How'd, how did you know? And, of course, the only answer is there I I don't know. How did, was I supposed to know? It was a calling. I, I had no, I barely had a plan. I still don't know. All we've done is take one step at a time, following the compass's pointer. I believe the next 25 years are going to be more than we can imagine. Because now to him, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we could ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen? That is all we have. That compass. That imagination. That Jesus is in our midst. And that we are following the one true Lord. Everything makes sense after that. And you will rejoice in the temple of God all your days if we can just keep this one thing in front of us, church. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. Amen.